Welcome to the Thicket and Thistle podcast. This is a roundtable discussion of our favorite aspects of musical theater. This episode, we're discussing London Road. This 2011 musical has a book and lyrics by Alecky Blythe and music and lyrics by Adam Cork. This musical opened to almost unanimous critical acclaim in London's West End, even though it features some potentially controversial source material. The film adaptation, which we reviewed for this episode, was released in 2015 and features Tom Hardy and Olivia Coleman, among others. Please enjoy the episode um are we ready to get this show on the london road <laughs> let's do it let's do it um All let's right. do it um let's repeat some lyrics um let's do it um let's do it um repeat the lyrics everyone is very very nervous um, I'm very unsure of everything. You guys, John, what yeah, did you make uh-huh. us watch? What? I, I thought it was so cool. Right? I was what happy to have musical? watched it. This is definitely the most controversial pick, though. I think we can easily all say that, right? <laughs> what do you mean by controversial? <laughs> I don't know. Most exper- Well, it's definitely the most experimental. Are we yeah. on? Is this yes. the beginning? Yeah. This is the yes. beginning. Let's We're here. Do Let's do this. I remind you, we also watch South Park. Yes. So, South Park but has is... actual songs, Jonathan Foster. <laughs> it's it's funny because we've watched some of like the great movie musicals ever made. And then we watched like the weirdest, most experimental movie musical ever made. Yeah, we've got a, a good- It's yeah, a far eclectic... cry from West Side Story. I'll tell you that. <laughs> we also watched Inspector General, which is like yeah. a weird movie musical. Yeah. I didn't hate yeah. this. Yeah. I'm not trying to put off that vibe. It was right. just- but not, weird, I mean, I had weird. no idea what to expect, to be honest. Yeah, well, let's get this intro in and then we're yeah. gonna start talking <laughs> about it. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for tuning in. We were just uh, doing some pre-discussion about the musical we're gonna be talking about tonight. This is our Thicken and Thistle podcast where we talk about movie musicals that excite us and confuse us sometimes. <laughs> yep. And make us question what really is a musical? What really is a song? <laughs> And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about what is a song? What is a song? What are the rules, right? For all of our listeners who have not yet seen London Road, watch it. So anyone pretty much (laughs) in the world. We should do a little synopsis of what this film is. It was originally a stage show in London. It's based on a series of of murders that happened in this small village. Of Um, Ipswich. Ipswich, where five prostitutes were murdered in a series of weeks by one person. And then these theater makers decided they were going to write um, songs and make a show based on literal transcriptions of interviews of people and news persons and policemen and women who surrounded this whole event. As I'm n- literal of an interpretation as yeah. musical theater can do. Mispronunciations, well, I heard. Verbatim. I, I heard mm-hmm. verbatim ums mm-hmm. and uhs. Or actually, well, I watched one with the transcriptions turned on and it was like erm i guess erm mm-hmm. is how in the uk um is spelled which i thought <laughs> well, was well it's not fun. even it's not even just literal verbatim it's also the pace at which they spoke the and the the spaces that they take and everything okay. it's mm-hmm. i need i need, I need someone like to explain that to me because i feel like i didn't understand what's happening sometimes with the music so a great example of that is this is the third song that you automatically think it could be him how mm-hmm. at the very beginning of that song, they're like, oh, wow, you automatically think it could be him. It could be like anyone in here. I'm gonna like cry. <laughs> and then they took that song 
and they turn it into with the same speech rhythm, you automatically think it could be him, it could be anyone in here, like anyone in here, and I'm just gonna like cry. <laughs> and they turn it into a song. It's what Did you remind- watch the credits, Josh? I listened, but some of it was like really poor quality. So I stopped mm-hmm. listening because I, I mean, they were playing back the interviews. Is that what it was? Yeah. Yeah. The actual interviews. Yeah. And so the crazy thing is that the actors, when they received like, when when usually actors would receive a script, these actors literally just received a, 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 a digital files of the interviews. And okay. So they, so they received like, like basically like their script on a, on a, on a little like iPod shuffle. (laughs) Right. And, and they had, they listened to these uh, interviews and the, um, the composer basically auto-tuned it. Like, remember, I don't know if this was like a, if this was just like when I discovered it or if it was a thing, but like around like early 2000s, there was a big uh, craze around like taking news interviews or like news segments and turning them into auto-tune. Auto- auto-tune the news was it mm. YouTube. Yes, I, yes, hide your kids. Hide your kids. Hide your kids. Hide your wife. And then they did the Kimmy Schmidt. Oh, uh, Kimmy Schmidt song is right. so good. Mm-hmm. That's like They're the big. best TV intro song ever. Is the stuff that we were listening to in the film, did the actors just like speak the lines and then it was all auto-tuned afterwards or were they, they were singing it? No, they were it singing it. Rehearsed music. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. The transitions it's into song were incredibly seamless, I thought. Like you yeah. couldn't even detect the moment at which they stop speaking and start singing. It just sort of like becomes a song in a really fluid way. I read a little bit about the rehearsal process for the stage production. And apparently the playwright, Aleki Blythe, had mm-hmm. a history of doing other verbatim type shows mm-hmm. where the actors would learn their lines based on audio files, like you mentioned, John. Mm-hmm. But the convention was that she would have them on stage with earpieces in. The files would be playing back in their earpieces during performances, and they would have to like speak along with that. Oh, shit. That mm-hmm. sounds and that horrible. London Road was the first <laughs> show that Alecki did that sort of deviated from that where they lost the earpieces during the performances but they still rehearsed with them in which is just it seems like a really crazy specific kind of process to go through you know what i mean yeah there's a quote from her she's like i know i made more than one actor like go to the toilet and cry because of (laughs) how like frustratingly specific it all was so did they have earpieces on set? Were they capturing sound live when they're making the movie or was this done in a studio? No, I think, no, this no. Was I think just st- during the rehearsal process, they had them in. Yeah, the, the when we were talking about like the seamlessness of the transition from conversation into singing, the first example of that I think is like that new, the news report right at the very beginning when you're hearing the news reporters talking and then like at the very last like sentence of the first reporter, he starts going into a sing-songy melody and you're like, wait a second, is he singing or is he speaking? And then if like from yep. there, it kind of grows on. I loved it. I think that this reminds me a lot of Sondheim. How like there's, there's conversation and rhythm and there's intention behind the melody choices. But at the end of the day, it's about how are these people actually saying it? Like, how are these people communicating? And if the idea that song that songs are meant to be communication, that then this song needs to sound like it's being communicated, which is fascinating. To me. It, it was so new. 
I mean, I've never seen anything like this before. And I have a couple things I have to say about this. First of all, he's got a list. He's got a pad. I, I just, I was thinking about what I wanted to say because I would rather watch this 10 times more than I'd rather watch King Kong the musical or anything that's based on something I've seen before. <laughs> However, I always have an issue with things that are based on a true story. But the thing I have a problem with it is, is that it has to make it more interesting than the truth. Mm. And this pays such close attention to the actual details down to the intonation and the rhythm that people said the things they said. Everything is verbatim, everything's a direct quote, but even that it's more rhythmically perfect and barely heightened theatrically. And for that, like only, I was left with like, oh, so what happened? Because it's just like kind of, it kind of just feels like town panic in a way that's very interesting and unique but I, I was left wanting something to happen more I totally, because it's a musical, but spoiler overall, alert, so good. I totally thought the prostitute was going to kill herself at the end. And I so thought that. Oh, I was waiting for that. But I was like, oh, is she going to get the balloon? And she jumps. Great. I get it. And yeah. like, I was glad that she didn't, but I was mm-hmm. also like, yeah, so still nothing really happened. Well, the thing is, it's it's so interesting. It's a slice of life. Like, totally. that's really yeah. what this is. Before we get into that, there is another production that I need to give a shout out to. It was off-Broadway right in the before times uh, called uh, <laughs> Diana H. And it's playing at the Vineyard, or it was playing at the Vineyard. And it takes a very similar approach to creating theater. It's a one-woman show in which she has an earpiece and she is literally lip-syncing to somebody's interview. And so they're playing the interview. It's just like, it's a one-woman interview, like talking about her life and stuff. And the actress is on stage with an earpiece lip-syncing the whole time to this person's, to, to, to the interview that's happening. So like, it's weird theater, but it's, it is happening. We saw, Lindsay and I saw a show at the Vineyard also called Is This a Room? Which is similar, it's also a verbatim theater piece. This one, Is This a Room, was about uh, a real life person named Reality Winner who was detained by the FBI for leaking documents that related to Russian hacking of the 2016 election. Sort of in the style of Edward Snowden. She was a a contractor uh, who faxed a document. Anyway, so they have the, um, the recording of the FBI showing up at her house and questioning her and then ultimately arresting her. And that is that like 90 minute chunk of time is the play. And it's, it's pretty interesting. There's different ways to kind of make it dramatic. And I think that London Road is actually a, gr- a good example as well. I wanted to shout out another play that I'm sure we've all interacted with at some point in our careers, which is The Laramie Project, mm. um, which is the kind of 90s verbatim show that took over the world. My high school did a production of The Laramie Project, and I, I remember that kind of blowing my mind because it's like, what happens in that show? You know what I mean? Like, it's just people talking like they do. Mm. We don't see the person who commits the crimes. We don't see the person who the crimes were committed against, obviously. That's not even a factor. It's just the community in which that takes place. So that to me is like the precedent for London Road. When I was thinking of it that way, it sort of put me in the right mindset, I think, to kind of appreciate the ways in which they took the mundane and made it theatrical. Mm-hmm. Like all the repetition and the the lyrics and stuff, those they sort of took on bigger meaning, I thought. And I'm sure people have different reactions to this style of theater. But for me, when when I was hearing, you automatically think it could be him. And that sort of like really machine-like rhythm. Hi, Rachel. It, to me, it 
it sort of seemed like, I don't know, like it kept growing in intensity. <laughs> the tone shift is amazing here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Rachel was just sort of dancing in the background. <laughs> I'm so this sorry. Like, I, the podcast I'm sorry. is like an audio format, but this is a great that's one. Why, that's why this needs to be a visual format, you guys. <laughs> it will be. If you want to see what we're talking about, subscribe to our Patreon. <laughs> All of our videos will be released there. Yeah, Kyle, what you said is so true. Like, it's like there's something about the repetition, especially when we're talking about a story that's full of suspicion and anxiety, mm -hmm. because that's all suspicion and anxiety is. It's you telling yourself the same line and just repeating it over and over and over again. And it's so fascinating. What I love about this musical is that it really like characterizes on that like anxiety and how it affects all walks of life. Like everyone involved in this, apart from the the victim and the perpetrator, there's that like that like that worry that pervades this musical, and I love it. Oh, it's so fascinating. I found the repetitive nature of a lot of the songs annoyingly effective. I was like, this, these lyrics aren't doing anything, but they just kept building. And then like you have more people singing and it's like, it just kept happening. It made me like feel like everyone's fear or paranoia or they're like guilty song is so cool. And there's so many things happening, mm -hmm. but it's just people repeating the same and all bumping into each other. Repetition. That's why okay by me. I loved that two girls that you automatically think song mm -hmm. yeah, also because it is, it's like, sticks out. it starts with these two teenage girls kind of being like, laughy and silly and then by the end it's like all the women on the bus are singing it and there's this mm. one man and it like i mean i think the movie does a really good job of like creating a feeling of unease and like <laughs> yeah suspicion anxiety it's for the fact that very little happens in it it makes you feel a certain way throughout for sure you realize at the end it's a musical about the road and the street not necessarily about the murders themselves yeah yeah it's titled london road not the ipswich murderer <laughs> I think I read something. What was the murderer called? Was it something like the Ipswich Ripper? Was that the actual mm -hmm. news yeah. headlines? I yeah, didn't was... do my homework on that. Well, that <laughs> they I say it that in the movie. Musical. Yeah, yeah, they call him the Ipswich Murderer or Ripper. The they Ips always Ripper. give him such a sweet nickname. He doesn't deserve such a cool nickname. Yeah, <laughs> especially with a, with the with the surname of Ipswich. I just love saying that word, Ipswich. Ipswich. I think I think part of it too was I had the wrong expectations going in. I mean, this thing felt so much like a true crime doc, and so I'm like <laughs> ready for twist after turn after you know. And this, like like you said, John, it's a slice of life. I think if I would have went in with that healthier mentality, maybe it would have stuck a little bit more. But I did feel that paranoia without a doubt. I mean, it's so effective in doing that. Well, yeah, there's a lot of, um, of the first time that I watched this, full disclosure, I've seen this movie about like 10 times in the past three weeks. I love it so much. Oh my gosh. Um, uh, so get ready, I got my notes. What the first time that I watched it though, I kept being like, is this random, the, the old guy who's like alone and has like the snakes in his background picture, like, is he really the murder the whole time? Or, or is it that like- I was thinking guy. that the entire time I was like, yeah. he's the murderer. Yeah, or is it Tom Hardy? We have, we've gone this long and haven't yeah. said his name yet. Is it Or Tom is it Hardy? the guy with like the overalls and the plaid shirt that runs around like creepy? Yeah. Like they make him look creepy and he goes to the, the police station and stands there after everyone's gone like a weirdo. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I thought it was him Dodge. for sure. Is that, that his Dodge? Name? Dodge is his name. Yeah. He's the yeah. first one that gets like, it, you automatically think it could be him with the teenagers. Uh -huh. He's the first mm -hmm. one they say it to. Yeah, they oh, make right. him really super 
creepy. And, and then, then he the- wins the fucking flower award at the end. Mm-hmm. Like, good for Dad. There's, there's your twist baskets. right there. <laughs> <laughs> it was so verbatim that we literally saw who came with that like extra award where they're like, hey, here's the award for the garden where there's a lot of cars in their driveway. Like they kept that part too, you know? Mm-hmm. It was great. Oh, so good. Um, so this movie musical definitely, I think it strays away from what we have come to learn as the like, this is how you make a musical formula. And I kind I want to talk about it because I don't know if there is a very clear, like I want song in this musical. And like, it's weird to me that I think very similar to the Cinderella movie, that like the second song really should have been the first song of everyone is very, very nervous. I'm curious if anybody else has any any thoughts on ways that this strays from a normal musical formula. I think I disagree with your, the second song be our first song. Yeah. <laughs> Partly because there's such a, one of the, the things that the residents of London Road are fighting against in this show is the kind of like, outside perception of their neighborhood Mm. basically like they think one of the like little background things that i picked up in the musical is that there was a soccer team that had a stadium right by london road and then they moved to a different stadium or like a different area in ipswich ipswich town is a a, is the club right sam yeah yeah we worked with james uh back in portland and he he was a uh, from ipswich and was an ipswich fan and uh oh shout out to james peck what a great absolutely and my wife's father's cousin lives in ipswich so that's basically my team too so (laughs) wow so so you've been to london road then (laughs) couldn't miss it dude (laughs) <laughs> apparently the stadium moved and then the like old area was no longer you know the center of a bunch of attention with soccer there so the perception of the neighborhood sort of declined you know it's, it's these neighbors are sort of struggling against the outside perception so that first song where it is just the media kind of descending on their street and being like you know, at the center of the, the nightly news is this small hamlet of Ipswich or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like the kind of like media circus is mm. such an aspect of this show. It's such a thing that they fight against until way later on. Uh, I don't know. To me, it makes a ton of sense why that would be our introduction. Also, because it's a, a real story, I bet that's most most British people's only real interaction with the story is like through the news. I hear that. I hear that. I would almost say that, like, I think that maybe the the news song at the very beginning is more like a prologue of like, this mm-hmm. is the presupposition or the uh, presupposing event. Yeah, I was thinking of like how you said, yeah, there isn't an I want song. And, and so that was hard for me because I didn't know where to focus. And now that I'm reflecting on that, I was feeling like I was left uncomfortable not knowing where I stand in this whole shakeup. And I'm like, that... That's exactly how someone on London Road would feel, Sam, (laughs) you know? So all these realizations, all these things, I'm like, well, that was weird. I'm like, oh, right, (laughs) you know? And, and, And so now I'm... This musical's growing on me literally by the minute. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I think that... nervous and unsure of everything. <laughs> I think that's true, too, where Olivia Coleman's character toward the end, after the verdict has come out and everything, she's kind of saying, like, I'd like to shake his hand. Like, he cleaned oh. up the neighborhood, basically, because he, like, killed all these prostitutes, so the prostitutes were scared and stopped working. 
And she's basically saying, I'd like to thank him if I could. And it's kind of like this, ooh, like horrible oh. sentiment, but at the same time, like kind of human and understandable. This is the and- crux of the musical to me. So yeah. what are you gonna say, Josh? I love that scene because her daughter's sitting there and you can see her daughter is just like hanging her head and is so disappointed in what her mom is saying. And I, it's very clever. She didn't need to be there. She doesn't say anything. It's all visual, uh, but I, th- I thought that was really great. Yeah, that moment, that that honest, earnest answer or, or response of like, I would shake his hand if I could. I mean, I wouldn't, but if I could, mm-hmm. I would tell him thank you. Uh, Does that change how you guys feel about the London Road people? No. I don't know. It's because my favorite song in the whole thing is the prostitute's song. And I think mm. it's like a really beautiful and sad moment. I mean, I think that's the saddest part of the movie. It's interesting to see it because you kind of see it from everyone's different perspectives and everyone's perspective is kind of understandable as fucked up as it all is. Absolutely. I mean, this kind of begs a, a different question, which is who do we think the main character of this musical is? There is one. I mean, Olivia Coleman's like by far the biggest star who's in the ensemble. I mean, you get Tom Hardy's showing up for a second, but he's nothing. I mean, they, he, they hired him as a marquee name, not he, as a... I, I feel like he, they had him for one day and they're like, okay, Tom, mm-hmm. we're gonna need you to get in a car and just, we're gonna film you tw- two takes, two takes and that's all you need. <laughs> it's out. a cool song too. It's, it's good, it's cool. And yeah, but I feel like Olivia so Coleman good. is my my answer because she very I sincere. Think Dodge too, like half-assed mullet guy. Mm-hmm. This is this a trick question? Because this is an ensemble piece. <laughs> it's the road. The answer is the road. I am with Sam. I was going to say that too. The road is the main character. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. We do see the road go through quite a transition. Yeah. If um, anything, the road's the one with the character arc. No one else. For has real. Literally, it gets like a hairdo later. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of green. It glams up for the third act. <laughs> all of a sudden, the, the, the beautiful girl walks down the stairs without her glasses on, and all of a sudden. Yeah. Well, Sixpence None the Richer is playing. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Beautiful. <laughs> oh, I no, love it. She's all that reference. I appreciate it. And so does Freddie. <laughs> it's such a like warm and fuzzy story of like the community kind of coming together. And like, it definitely seems like none of these neighbors really ever meet each other until something horrible happens. And then they are forced mm-hmm. to like actually talk to one another. And because, yeah, there's that moment when they like have their first neighborhood council meeting or whatever and it's extremely awkward and it's very weird but you can see these kind of like seeds are planted of the community coming together and it's so warm and fuzzy and then that scene where they they talk to the mom it just like totally killed all the warm and fuzzies for me <laughs> like a hundred percent because i don't know i just think it's kind of interesting because it seems like a good outcome that the street gets cleaned up and they sort of defy the media's notions about what London Road is like and to reform these good communal bonds. But then the the musical, I think, really smartly asks, like, well, who's included and who's excluded from these warm and fuzzy bonds, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, yeah, I don't I don't think the there's one right answer here, but it definitely seems like the people who like lived there have a lived experience that tells them that prostitutes are annoying when they're around. But then it really, really seems unfair to be like, we're going to totally change the shape of this community. And that means erasing some people we don't like, you know? <laughs> if that were the story though, then in the end, when the prostitute shows up to the flower party, wouldn't they shun her? I mean, like that girl, if you're walking around and you look like the way that she looked and like running makeup and the the oversized sweatshirt, like everybody knows 
that she was one of the girls. And then the, to have that little girl give her a balloon at the very end, I feel like there is something about their story, I don't know, isn't, isn't necessarily cloaked in negativity either. But mm-hmm. also, you just said it was the, the kid that gives her the balloon. It's only children that even acknowledge her. The rest of the adult population totally casts her out. Like, she's ignored so and shunned. That's, That's so intentional. Crazy. I got the sense that some of the men like knew the prostitutes yeah. and were just being quiet. They don't want to A, be accused of murder, but also B, like have the whole community know that they're uh, purchasing the um, experiences of these prostitutes. So I, I get the sense, I don't know at the end just specifically, but definitely throughout the film that people were looking at these women like, we're going to keep quiet, right? Like, Yeah, yeah I like, agree with you know. that. I didn't get that at the end, though, so it did seem like they were getting ignored. Kyle, one of the points that you made has kind of it, it taken me down a, a road, that I, a London road, th- where I think <laughs> that the reason that this piece is so interesting to me is because at the very beginning, you see all of these different people who live on this street, and they're very isolated. And they're looking out their windows, and they're not really connected with each other. And through this event, they have all become a closer community and they're no longer individuals. And I think it's interesting that at the very beginning, you see everybody by themselves. It's very much like, obviously like interviews, but then when, when you see like the one woman walking down, this, walking down the street with all the police tape and trying to like maneuver through it, which is like one of my favorite With all her bags. It doesn't make sense. Like, why doesn't she just push it down and walk over it? But in the, I, I looked this up in the stage production. They actually did that where they, they like ran back and forth across the stage with that police tape and made a cool. maze for the actors to try to like get through. But but all that is say, you see them so individualistically. And then once they have the town hall meeting, you never see anybody alone again, except for the interviews. But uh, everybody's actions are all in group settings. I love when the woman runs out into the street. She's like, verdict, verdict. (laughs) Oh, that woman. And then they're all watching it together. I thought that was, yeah. Exactly, exactly. It's things like that, where they were watching the news away from like individually, but Mm. at the end, they're all in that one living room or they all are in that one town hall. I love that image of everybody crowded around that one small little TV screen in the community center. So it's like, it's great because it's like family comes together, right? They're all in their individual things and now they're a community. London Road is a community. And all it took was the death of five women, right? Yeah, the murder and, of five women. But like, I I don't know. Like, I feel like you've watched it more times. Someone who watched this with a better mindset, maybe like, does the movie grapple with that? Like, is that what I'm supposed to think? It's, oh yeah, but like, it was five women and that's what makes me feel complicated about it. Because I got hints of it, but I wasn't sure exactly how I was supposed to feel about that. It's definitely a story about them, a community coming together, experiencing collective trauma and doing what they have to to survive it, which I guess is. I think if we were all left with the feeling of like good for I guess it's good that they came together. But like this is what it took. I think if we were all left with that feeling, I think that was intentional. Yeah, It begs the question, is collective trauma necessary for solidarity? Like it's sort of maybe a historical 
um, trope at this point, but politicians love war because it makes right. re-election easy. It makes countries come together. It gives people common purpose. And this has been true basically through all time. Um, 100%. I mean, we're uh, kind of in the middle that, of that right now. Totally. Yeah. There's a great, uh, a very powerful businesswoman in New York, uh, uh, Barbara Cook, uh, who runs Corcoran Real Estate, which is like one of the most profitable real estate companies in Manhattan. And she gave a talk on how to create team bonding. And she said that in the early 80s, she took a tour bus of all, like put all of her executives and all like the VPs uh, and stuff on a tour bus, drove it up to Harlem and basically paid the bus driver to say, to act as if the bus was broken down. And they had to, and she was like, okay, we have to figure out how to get home without a bus. And we're in the middle of Harlem, which at the time was more crime infested than it is now. And especially for like all these like rich white people to be stuck in the middle of Harlem. And uh, she said that like what that did is it literally made these people realize that like, hey, in this in this like quote unquote scary environment that we found ourselves in, we have to band together and it creates that sense of camaraderie. I think very similar to like really crappy summer stocks that I've been a part of, uh, you know, like in college and stuff like where it's like you, this is an equity theater, but I am literally sleeping two per two people and a twin size bed and a mansion that's been abandoned and doesn't have AC and the hottest month in July, you know, like all these really crazy things, but it brought us together. And so I definitely think that group trauma brings people together. Does this woman who you were talking about, um, this businesswoman promote this then? Like she was saying, I did this and no, it was really no, no, good. No, 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 no. She was just, somebody had asked like, how do you bring a team together that's desperate? And she was like, make them, you know, make them have to work together. She's the, she's on Shark Tank all the time. So she's, I wouldn't say that she's like, this is what you do, but she's like adversity creates bonding. Sure. Yeah. And what could be more adverse for a bunch of rich white Wall Street bros <laughs> than being abandoned in Harlem in the middle of the summer? Do you think maybe the the Ipswich Ripper saw this community and was like, <laughs> you know what they need? They need me to kill some people so this place can yeah. get some yeah. flowers planted and they'll have a, a, a street fair. And I mean, like, guys, he was only there for 10 weeks. 10 weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. Uh, I feel um, like that's something that the musical asks us to think about though too, is like the price of community togetherness. It definitely seems clear that nothing was forcing these people out of their comfortable lives to like get together mm. at all for yeah. years. <laughs> it also struck me as kind of interesting that none of them seemed to really know their neighbor who was murdering people, even though mm -hmm. he was there for 10 weeks, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like how many neighbors have moved into your building that you never meet? Right. And like, it's, it's just a, cute, a weird thing. Yeah, Josh. I want to point out one thing because I, I feel like we've opened the cynical can of worms here. I feel like the collective uh, like coming together only happened after they had the big media storm and the police were everywhere. It wasn't the actual killings that brought them mm -hmm. together. It was sort of all the aftermath and them being forced to go look at their TVs. Oh, look, that's outside. There's all these people everywhere. There's tape. There's like this invasion of the outside world happening. And that is what made them go, we will change the image of this place. It's like their perception of how they thought the world was perceiving them is what drove that. Mm. It's not yeah. nice being labeled, I think is one of the lines. Right, so they, they, they refuse to be defined by their circumstances. Is that the more? I just want to make sure. No, you, we're, we're you walking down the optimistic going. path. 
Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I'm, I still just grapple with it. I'm still just like, I think about the ending and I think about that long walk through the garden party from the prostitute. Mm-hmm. It just felt very kind of ghostly, you know what I mean? It's like this person was just a spectral, you know, image, after image. You know, it's almost like they put some plants up so now London Road no longer has to deal with any of the issues of drug abuse and poverty that conditions in the first place are like it's just it's so weird like this football team moves and so in the shadow of that they're like crops up this girls who are selling sex and you know they're they're sex workers on the corner and then these murders happen and then everyone's super concerned about the image of their neighborhood <laughs> it almost feels like there's like a disconnect there's like yeah right like totally. something gets missed here there's like some element that gets kind of ignored or swept aside like it doesn't really fully exist yeah josh uh, we have to talk about the current cultural moment we're in because i feel like we are at risk of that happening right now mm. right like if this film is asking us to look at things happen people react and they change but like do they change i think right. is a very serious question mm-hmm. to or do ask. they just have a nicer garden yeah <laughs> or do people react for a time they're worried about image and then things go back to the way they were right I think the a good analog for this is maybe like all the Confederate statues that are being pulled down around the country, sure. which is undoubtedly like fantastic or whatever, you know, you're cleaning up the image of whatever town square. In some cases, it's like long overdue, it feels like. But pulling down a statue and sort of dealing with the real human beings, it's kind of like two different things, you know, you can adjust the image, but that doesn't mean that the real human beings stop existing or stop needing help doesn't change people's hearts and minds it doesn't stop people from being racist or from hating each other Hmm. wow i feel like this musical kind of cops out of all that though (laughs) (laughs) totally (laughs) totally i feel like it doesn't totally grapple with these things and i think that we're interpreting it how it's supposed to be interpreted especially with this community coming together and stuff like it does tell a story even though it's not written right it is recorded mm. and yet the 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 way they frame things the way they have the parts go definitely gives you that whole arc story but almost like i just need you to step out of that for a second and grapple with some of the things that are happening here i guess that is it makes sense like you know the people they sweep it under the rug like the prostitutes aren't there great and and, and that monologue of the woman who said uh, you know that she's glad she'd shake the hand of the murderer right i guess that's there a little bit but i still just feel empty i feel wanting more answers from that question that they asked in the movie I feel like I should acknowledge right now, it's super easy to sit over here in New York in 2020 and be like, they should treat those prostitutes better. Right. You know, and like, I'm not British. I don't know what goes on in British politics. I can't really claim to say, you know, what the circumstances fully are around that. Like, you know, whatever's happening in Ipswich in 2006, I don't know. But it's interesting. There was an interview with the playwright and she says that anyone who claims that they have a black and white answer either that the prostitutes were an inconvenience that should have been all like arrested or you know they should have all been killed or whatever that was like a a real perspective of some people in Ipswich at the time and then there are lots of other people in like London for instance who were like you know well the answer is we should have more robust health care for all these sex workers and stuff and she's like both of those answers are bullshit (laughs) and that getting the real 
soundbite from the people from the person who actually lives on that road is like more valuable than anyone's kind of shallow political opinion about it, mm-hmm. which I yeah. think is also maybe a funny kind of weird anti-message at the core of this musical. Mm-hmm. I love though, f- for that reason, I love that you get all the different perspectives. I mm-hmm. mean, you have the perspectives of the prostitutes who are saying like, oh yeah, now they're like helping us with these clinics and stuff, but it took getting five of us murdered for anyone to even look at us. But then you also have the perspective of like Olivia Coleman's character, who's like, I want to shake the hand of the man who murdered them. I also love the perspective that you get like just two very small sentences and the be- uh, right before the, you automatically think it could be him when they're walking around the diner and you hear the two guys and one of them's like, if it's any of those immigrants that killed them, we should just send them all back. And then the guy retorts and he's like, no, 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 no. I don't think that you really mean that. <laughs> I know I don't. Like, and I don't think that you're the type of person that means that. I think that t- hearing somebody say that, I'm like, oh my God, how many times have I wanted to tell, say that when somebody like, uh, when somebody says like a, a, an off color joke to me, I'm like, I don't think that you actually think that that's funny. I think that you're trying to just like peacock to make, mm-hmm. to make yourself look cool. And it's like having that opinion, but maybe not. And then for him to be like, nope, I actually feel that way. Yeah, he doubles down. Wow. wow. I didn't notice that moment. It's great. It's great. I, I mean, watch it, watch it nine yeah. more times, Jules. You'll see. <laughs> I, I love it because his like kind-hearted friend, he says something very specific there, which is like, I don't think you believe that in your heart, mm. which is like very, it's very pointed. Yeah. Ooh, another thing, a uh, character I thought was really interesting is the redheaded reporter who like, she's all just so excited about getting the story, mm. even though it's like this oh, like horrifying the, thing that's happening. Like it's, the NPR she's just, like, interviewer or whatever, she has yeah. the headphones yeah. on. <laughs> mm-hmm. where, where she was like, I'm a part of this. I'm a part of this. And she's left alone in the end of the song. I love it. I love it so much. I yeah. thought they did a good job of intercutting that with the people in Ipswich toasting sort of very, very hesitantly, not knowing how they're supposed to feel about this man being convicted. But there's also Mm -hmm. like a lot of energy spent with the reporters and like, they're all very excited about this thing. It sort of feels weird that you're cutting back and forth. The contrast of the two was effective and making me feel uncomfortable. (laughs) Um, Josh, you said something about intercutting and it made me remember uh, uh, that like, all the times there were like little Christmas melodies that were integrated in like the real life sounds were integrated into their conversation. I remember being very impressed by that. Like yeah. Silent Night, I remember being particularly yeah, it really comes on haunting. Yeah, in the taxi, right? The Tom Hardy scene, yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah, that's right. And she's, yeah. Yeah, she thinks maybe it's him, right? I and mean, the and the funny. during the everyone is very very nervous. On top of that, hearing it's the most wonderful time of the mm-hmm. year. That's what it is. Yeah, that's How another one. Creepy was that? That's oh, fun. Yeah, it's so really well done. I want to highlight a moment of that Olivia Coleman has, and it's something that I want to steal and put. And if we happen to have a movie musical come out, and it's when she's mm. thinking, she's looking at herself and in, in the mirror. And she's going like this and she's tapping her teeth with her fingernail like this. And to me, it's just like one of the most like beautifully nuanced pieces of action that she has when she's like just watching this and just like, ah. love it. Love it. Thanks, Olivia, for that. <laughs> That's what I loved. I wanted to like give a shout out to the casting of this movie because you've got Olivia Coleman, who's a star, 
although much less of a star in 2015 than she is now that she's won an Oscar. And then you have this scene with Tom Hardy, but like everyone who's cast in the movie is such a like real person type. Nobody looks like a star or like, you know, a famous actor and everyone just has this like very grounded, realistic thing about them. And I just thought I loved the casting yeah, and there are a Jules, lot of little none, moments like none that. of them were intimidatingly beautiful is what you're saying. <laughs> actually, I mean, I had the same well, thought. There are a lot of like casting calls that say, like, I want a real person. And I'm like, what you're saying is you don't want someone intimidatingly beautiful. Mm. <laughs> well, I just mean for whatever I that's think, worth. like it takes I feel like sometimes uh, you'll watch a movie that's supposed to be a very like realistic grounded movie and it has like some movie star who's just distractingly good looking in it you know and it kind of takes you out of it that's hollywood hollywood has done that to like every Mm -hmm. movie is like everyone is just so fucking gorgeous how am i supposed to believe anything that's happening but that's why i thought this was so cool and effective because like the people are so like interesting looking the the girl who plays the lead prostitute that we get to follow throughout in real life is actually like, I would say extremely gorgeous, but almost every film that she's been in, she looks very similar to how she looks Mm -hmm. in this. Well, she has such like intense jaw and cheekbones. She has like like, a very extraordinary face. Really cool bone structure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that now is a good time for me to talk about my favorite BSA of this movie. For those of you who maybe didn't get to catch the last five minutes, you probably missed her. But her name is Claire Moore, and she plays um, uh, uh, the judge. The judge, where she's (laughs) like in the very, she comes in and she's like, "Oh, it's religious, it's floral, it's nautical. All of humanity is here." (laughs) She's great. She's so good. I, and, and of course, because I am who I am, I researched this woman, this hysterical <laughs> woman, and I found a couple of interesting th- things. You tell. First off, she was Christine Daae opposite of Sarah Brightman. When, that, when, when Sarah Brightman was Christine Daae, she would do five shows, and then Claire would come in and do th- the other three shows that week. And she's really? actually like an opera star. She has all of these <laughs> opera credits. And it's crazy. I love it. She's like, oh, the gardener's wife. And has that umbrella in the end. And, and um, she says, it's Jesus that's doing it for me now. And she goes over to the statue of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so I good. died. Her I, hair is great, too. Mm-hmm. There's a best and, supporting actress hair thing in the last couple of weeks that's been really working. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. One, one thing that totally blew my mind in that scene was they... Um, they're singing and then the crowd has like their cheers, you know, but the cheers are all like pitched mm-hmm. in a way. So they're all singing like, yay, all like together and stuff. But the composer did this thing where there's like major and minor thirds being sung against each other. And so it just kind of like totally destroyed my brain every time that they did that. Cause it, it does sound like this very crowd like cacophony, mm-hmm. but just the fact that it was a little bit like musically shaped in such a way it was just like oh like really hard to wrap my brain around it was yeah very and, then cool. on, and then on top of those minor and major thirds you also have the the photographer saying look here look mm-hmm. here and it doesn't fit anything else so so good you know what i just realized i want to go back a second to this ending scene of this thing i think 
Another read on the prostitute walking through is that what doesn't happen is also as important as what happens. And what I mean by that is that there is no big reaction. They don't try and cast her out. They, no one totally. is like flipping out and telling her to leave. They're, they aren't welcoming, but they aren't telling her to leave either. Totally. That's mm. a nice observation. Yeah, right? Kyle He's just so put his Josh. blinders on for the yep. at-home listener. And then there's like, I guess, hope because the kid is the one who waves. You know, like the, the new mm. generation is the one who's saying like, hey, we, we see you. Yeah, Even though we, she's up in the, I don't know, is it a water tower? There was like side yeah. question here. There are like big metal structures at the end of the street that look like they're nets. I didn't understand what it was. Yeah, there's a there's one in St. Louis that was super close to where Kyle and I went to school that also is like just a big cylinder frame. And I think at one point it might have housed like, I don't know, urban planning, but like like a water tower is almost what it looks like or so some like, kind of like big silo. It's like the legs of a water tower without the top. I don't yes. know. I mean, there's so so like in the like in Houston, in like down to like like there's there's a bunch of like oil fields and like manufacturers and stuff and they have a bunch of those huge cylinders and they still have that wire framing but they also have things inside of them and it almost looks like one of those except for that inner tube was taken out and so it's just the skeleton of the silo that remains which sounds like a really cool lyric that's what i get on that write it down write it down somebody write that down <laughs> just doing a little bit of research here and it does appear that the structure that we knew from st louis is just filled to the brim with inequality so it's fun <laughs> <laughs> oh man oh that was fun that's great what, um, what else do we have on i want to give a shout out to the blonde reporter i think he's my favorite character oh his the whole mommy, moment about semen being and able to say, he can and, say and and i love the line and we don't want another as the industry calls it mommy what semen moment <laughs> <laughs> so funny yeah he's great yeah, he's oh. he's, and then at the end, when he does it correctly at the very end, and the and the people behind him clap and he bows. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. it's just it's he's so, charming, and it's interesting because he's the he's the reporter at the very beginning who says that mm-hmm. like we're all shocked because I've lived here my whole life, mm-hmm. and it's so interesting that we get to follow him. Yeah, the mommy what semen moment. I'm gonna. <laughs> I think my favorite bit moment from this show, this movie, is uh, when the they've got the guards, the police officer posted outside the killer's house and then we see the like you know hours go by days go by with the changing whatever and there's just that one policewoman who's like practicing choreography while she's like waiting (laughs) i I did not notice that i noticed the one policeman petting a cat but i didn't notice choreography i love very funny (laughs) i also want to talk about because you know times being what they are I've been doing a lot of research on policing in the UK. A couple of things that I found super interesting uh, about police in the UK, obviously like they don't have guns, which is just what a relief, like what a refreshing idea, but also they have to give three warnings to somebody before they arrest them to have them stop what they're doing. And so when that old man approaches the tape and he's like, oh, you can't cross this tape. And the guy crosses it anyways. The policeman still like has a conversation with him and being like, "Okay, well, you can cross that one, but you can't cross this one. He's like very like they have just a very different way of policing. (laughs) And it's very much like there's they they are trained in non-aggression. 
It's like they have a little negotiation instead of someone pulling out a gun. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shocking. It's also interesting that they, part of the story was the, the townspeople um, of London road, like saying, Hey, we appreciate our police and what, how they handled the situation mm-hmm. in the town meeting. The guy who organized it thanks them. And there might have been another time too, but I, I'm definitely thinking about police a lot right now. So that's, yeah. yeah. But it feels like these like, cops, they did their job, right? They got them, right? They did their job. Yeah. And, and at the end, they also, at that point, were literally meant to protect the people that are still there from the media. Right. Right. And it's just like, ah, uh, I, I love the scene. Oh, the scene, it's just music where Dodge, is that his name? Dodge is going around taking the police tape down and he mm. gives it to that one cop. Yeah. That was the first moment that I was like, listen to this music. This music mm. is so good. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just like, I, the, uh, of course, because I am who I am, I've listened to this soundtrack a ton of times, but mostly just for the music. It's so beautiful. Give it a listen. Kyle, what do you think? Yeah, we got to bring up really quick. Uh, Adam Cork. Adam Cork is the composer here. Just looked up Adam Cork's IMDb and all that. Apparently Adam Cork has won a Tony Award for hmm. music for the play Red about oh. Rothko. I don't know if anyone's seen that. They did it at the St. Louis Rep while we yes. were in college. I've John. Seen it. Yeah. yeah, you've seen it, Josh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Red. Apparently he won a Tony for that. Right. And he is responsible for music and lyrics for Enron the musical. <laughs> Oh boy! I don't know if remembers that. I was interested. That. That I was am like, interested. That was like one of the first musicals that I saw in New York. Norbert Leo Butts was in it as the lead, and I was like, "Oh man, this musical is so cool! It's gonna go places!" And it didn't. No. <laughs> Unfortunately, I wonder why it went bankrupt real fast. <laughs> Norbert Leo Butts, System, uh, Sam Webster alum, fellow Gorlock. Starred in the last five years and Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and Wicked, many more. Yeah, Sorry. Enron. He also, this musical, London Road, won the Critics Circle Award in London for 2011. It also was just like amazing to me. I was looking at the National Theater. I've only seen, I think, War Horse there one time. Wait, you saw War Horse at the National Theater? I did. Yeah, it was oh. awesome. Oh. It was amazing. Oh my God. But they, uh, the, a lot of theater in Great Britain is very heavily, heavily subsidized by the government. And the National Theater is specifically a place to produce new work for affordable prices so that like regular citizens can go and see it. And the government mm. like pays for a lot of that stuff to happen. What an interesting concept. Well, it's just kind of cool because I feel like this musical is definitely more on like avant-garde side or like more on the weird side. And it definitely wouldn't go to Broadway without a lot of (laughs) unusual kind of circumstances, right? An ending. It wouldn't go to Broadway without an ending. I mean, they'd have to add some kind of giant gorilla puppet or something to it. So in in the musical, in the stage version of it, it actually starts with the last song that's in the movie. The, uh, look at us, like, look at all the things we've created. And all the things are in bloom. Look at your baskets. And that's how it begins. And then it like, and it reverses and it starts at the very beginning with the Mm, prologue. That's cool. And I'm wondering why they didn't do that for the movie. Because it definitely, like, I feel like, if you know me, you know I'm a killer for a good bookend. Like how it begins is how it ends. And <laughs> and I think that like that's really intelligent to have it like in a musical version like that. And yeah. I, f- I feel like the film is trying to play up some of the mystery in the first totally. part of it. So mm. by having a happy ending up front, it mm. d- 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 just doesn't give us that. That makes sense. Uh, so I want to know, because I imagine that none of us has seen this on stage. What 
would you be interested in seeing staged from this? And how, like, how would, how, how do you think that, that you would do that? Josh? I don't have an answer to the second part, but the two that stuck out to me that were really, I thought shot really well and I thought would be cool to see on stage is the scene in the market with the Santa Claus spinning around. I really mm-hmm. liked that. And then the, I thought the scene with the two girls, uh, the teenagers in pink running around, like they just went to so many locations. It was really neat to um, see them having fun following people around and like getting titillated by the, the horror of it all. Yeah, I thought those would be fun to see on stage. Yeah, mine's, are, mine's the same as Josh. I think it's the market square thing I'd be the most interested in. But this is the other thing that's been brought up. It's like this, what's the song with the girls in pink, John? You automatically think it could be him. You automatically think it could be him. Uh, Jules brought it up. Lindsay had to get in and say like, that stuck out to me too. Josh mentioned it. And I've been like dying being like, that's the one. that's the one that's always sticking out to me. What is it about that number? For me, what stands out about it is it's the one song that has the most movement. And it also, the girls, the, the, like the energy behind it, that the bumps it, bumps it, bumps it, bumps it. There's that. And then also because you hear them say it out without singing it first. Mm -hmm. And then when you hear them play it and sing it afterwards, you're like, oh, oh, that's how this is working. Like for me, it was one of the first things that like I really understood how the game worked by hearing totally. them speak and then it transitions to how would they make that a song? Yeah, I, it's the song maybe with the most repetition in the whole score. So it, that one was really drilled into my head. It's a good hook too. But mm. the other thing that I think stuck out for me about that song is the contrast in the actual like sound clip that got musicalized too, because right, they're like, especially the line where she's like, you know, I could totally just cry. And then they both laugh. Mm -hmm. Like there's just like, there's a lot of like contrast and contradiction that kind of makes it a really interesting soundbite, like a really juicy little thing. And, and also just like, so deeply like, you know, it's, it's these two individuals who have never had to fear for anything Mm -hmm. are suddenly in the middle of a really intense situation. And they're like, nothing ever happens in Ipswich. So like, this is actually kind of, yeah amazing like yeah that's a very interesting like teenage girl nervous laughter kind of thing yeah totally and they enjoy it i think we uh, we are invited as audience members to sort of enjoy it with them which is the first time i was aware of that where i was like okay we can we're this is a song we're safe in like i can have fun with (laughs) these guys while they're doing it you know and i'm not going to get the rug pulled out is there some new character or some new thing i'm supposed to be afraid of yeah 100 percent. literally you spend the rest of the movie automatically thinking it could be him (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Every everyone's like, oh, it could be him. It's so ah, uh, this musical and the the like last part of this song where it kind of gets generalized more to an entire bus full of young women, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like, oh, it's not just these two teenagers who are thinking this. It's everybody thinking this. You know, yeah. this is the like secret soundtrack to, in everyone's head in the town right now. And sort of getting invited into that, like you said, Josh, that's a really cool experience. Also, just like thump and beat, too. <laughs> thump and beat. <laughs> um, I was going to say, in answer to the question of what would I like to see staged, I think that um, that courtroom verdict song with all the reporters would be really interesting. And I was thinking about how we were talking last week about this most recent Broadway revival of West Side Story and how people on stage have cameras that are mm-hmm. being projected onto the back wall. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And I think it would be really interesting to see the the sort of like verdict and all of the like media blitz people 
grouped on stage, but then see like projection of like what the reporters, you know, solo shots are on Mm -hmm. the back wall, I think could be really interesting because I think the way they do that in the movie, switching between seeing all of the media people and just seeing the actual reporter shot is kind of cool. I'd love to see how they would do that on stage. Wonderful. I feel like we've talked a lot about this mo- movie and I want to just watch <laughs> it again with all these thoughts. Does anybody have any any mm-hmm. final shots before we say goodbye? Shout out to uh, Olivia Coleman. Yeah, it made me want to watch Fleabag and um, Broadchurch again. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I think if uh, we should recommend this to people highly, it is controversial. Is it maybe an overstatement? Because it does have quite a bit to offer, I feel. But I think the reviews I looked at were pretty mixed, which is always really mm-hmm. interesting when you see mm-hmm. things sort of split pretty evenly. I think the criticisms that it is sort of just like musicalized tabloid karaoke are <laughs> a little accurate. But I think the film is trying to like say something a little more beyond that. And uh it's, it's worth watching. Yeah, I think it's a worthwhile watch because it's just something new and different that than what you would see in a classic movie musical. So, And it's only uh, 90 minutes long. <laughs> I love yeah, that. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, easy watch. Oh, <laughs> wonderful. Okay, friends, next week. Kyle mentioned this when we were first talking, but I was thinking about Singing in the Rain and I was thinking how I think it's one of the classic movie musicals that was only a movie like it's written for the screen and I would love to, I, and it's one of my faves and I, I would love to give it a rewatch at some yeah. point. Wonderful. So then singing in the rain, I try to pull out some like really clever reference, but it's been so long since I've seen singing in the rain. The only thing that I remember. It's so good. The only thing that I remember is like when they have the microphone on the woman and she sounds like this and then she goes away and you can't hear her face <laughs> and comes back. It's so good. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you all listeners so much for tuning in. Join us next week when we talk about singing in the rain. And if you have any thoughts, any things that we didn't talk about in London road, please uh, shoot us an email info at thickenandthistle.com or uh, thickenandthistle at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Here are thoughts. Hit us up on Instagram and Facebook and all the likes. Slide into those DMs. Slide into those DMs and join us next week when we talk about singing in the rain. Bye. Thank you for listening. You can keep up to date with us by going to thicketandthistle.org or by following us on your social media app of choice. We're pretty easy to find.